you still see a lot of waterfall being used, um, even in cloud native environments. I think it's still something that a lot of culturally, a lot of people struggle with, you know, getting that community together from a diverse part of an organization rather than the business people giving, you know, a, a, a requirement under a table in an envelope to an IT member, a business analyst and go, go fix this and come back in six months. It's now, I'll sit with you. Can I have it in half an hour or a day? And that's really that cultural change in an organization is very big still, even today. Well, welcome back to Cloud Talk. I'm Jeff Deverter, your host, and I'm joined today by Simon Bennett, who is Rackspace's CTO of their EMEA region. Now, Simon has had the opportunity to live and work in and around so many different eras of computing, and the lessons that he has for us today are so applicable. The things that we can do to capitalize on successes, as well as the pitfalls to watch out for. So sit back and enjoy this episode. If you haven't already subscribed, it's a great time to do that. Now, after the interview, make sure that you stick around. We've got some great information for you. The line between application and infrastructure is virtually invisible in these modern apps. The kind of thing that a global computing fabric with immense resilience and scale can deliver without even breaking a sweat. That's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. It's all focused on the business objectives. That's where we craft the plan. In the tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell you right now, they're just the convenient face as founders to focus on. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Deverter. So I've had the opportunity to work in and around the IT industry for the past oh, 25-ish or so years. And to say that there's been a little bit of change is an understatement. When you think about when I started, it was back in the early 2000s. And at that point, actually it wasn't, it was back in 1996. So at that point, we're very much client server. And in the client server world, uh, things were still running inside of their own data centers. Cloud was... Mm, didn't even exist as a term. Managed hosting was really just starting to come onto the scene. And when you think about where we are now in a cloud capability, well, it's it's vastly different. Now, I'm joined today by Simon Bennett, who's our CTO at Rackspace over in the EMEA region. Now, I'm not saying Simon's older than I am. I'm just going to say that Simon's been in IT longer than I have been. Simon, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Jeff. And I, that's a nice way of not being too rude about me. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll find a way to get a few more jabs in as the, our conversation goes on. But I thought today, maybe what we could do is, is really just talk about how things have changed because we find ourselves as we look at the market uh, and live in this space, really at a precipice. But before we talk about that too much, let's just talk about what was what was it like in your first IT role? What was the face of IT? You don't have to necessarily share the year, maybe just the decade. Okay, it was the 80s, I have to admit. Um, and my first IT job in, did involve punch cards and paper tape. Yes. So, uh, and McCorkadale punch cards and hand punches to correct code. Correcting COBOL code with a hand punch was something I did in my first job being an operator. That's incredible. Now, I will say, I've already made it clear that I'm just one or two punches uh, uh, shy on you on the on the whole age thing. But when I was very young, my father, well, my father was a lifer with IBM. And so I remember in the 70s, him coming home with stacks of those punch cards that we would use as kids to color on and do other kinds of stuff. But uh, I never actually used them. 
Are you sure? Are you sure, Jeff? <laughs> uh, let's just go with that. That's 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 what I'll what I'll say for today. So, um, so that's a that's a mainframe world. You're, you're you, you've got a hardwired environment connecting into a big massive computer. Yeah, and dumb terminals. Remember, it was there was no intelligence in the terminal. You just used it as a screen on the big mass in the middle. That was it. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Okay, so that was that was the eighties. Tell me what compute in the nineties was like. What what changed from eighties to nineties? So so for me personally, I moved away from mainframe to Unix. Mm. So I worked with Hewlett Packard Unix boxes, and uh, after that with uh, Sequent Computer Systems, um, which was all large uh, symmetric multiprocessing Unix, and the dawn of client server, as you say running with Unix maybe at the back end, but maybe with the early Windows boxes at the front end, running you know, IIS for web serving, yeah. running applications that way, or in some cases, things like kiosks and bespoke devices, but all client server. All client server. And at this point, was anything in even a colo facility or was it in, in the company's own data center? What was, what was that environment like? So, so it's interesting. With the really big Unix boxes I worked with, we did a form of bureau computing. Okay. which you could say was a hosted solution and people would buy time on it. It's certainly for things like payroll or other elements. So there was an element of shared compute, um, okay. but it was only, it was called bureau computing more than anything there. Um, but predominantly in a customer's data center. Got it. Bureau computing. So that was also, you know, the whole, the whole um, EDS kind of mind frame or mindset as well, where, you know, here, here's this big environment and come rent some time on it. Yeah, and including, I worked with EDS out in Plano in Texas, providing that sort of equipment for a while, doing exactly that. Good old Ross Perot. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, and that's where I think we start to see this really big shift. If you look at the trajectory of where Rackspace was at this point, you get to 98 and you've got a couple of, you know, graduates from... Uh, from university here in San Antonio, and they come up with this idea for well, maybe it wasn't a new idea. It was shared compute, so the, where they would you know spin up a data center. Admittedly, it was a cage in a high rise, and <laughs> uh, and put some servers in there and some smart people and say, hey, come get a server. The dawn of managed hosting. Yeah, and the, and the rest, as they say, is history. It is history. So uh, we know the term managed hosting because for years and years, especially at Rackspace, we fought to be in that upper right-hand quadrant, and we were in the managed hosting space. But by your definition, what does it mean? Uh, so so for me, it's, it's really um, allowing customers not to have the responsibility for the equipment they want to run computing workloads on. It's giving right. that responsibility to someone else and letting them look after it, feed it, water it, provide the basics for it. With and including potentially upgrade it as well without the customer have to be too worried about it. So it's that so what, first level of ab- abstracting responsibility. So what's the um, so what's the difference then between like colo and colocation and managed hosting? So for me, colocation is still where the customer has responsibility for what sits in a rack, whereas the managed hosting, the customer has given that responsibility to someone else to do that on their behalf. Yeah, that's a simple way I would define it. And even today, when I talk to customers, you know, Colo is well. I still own what's within that rack. That rack may be locked from the Colo provider, and I'm responsible for what's in it. Once it leaves on a wire, I lose that responsibility. But that's it. That's right. That's right. And so, even from the 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 time of mainframe up to this point of managed hosting, 
what think about that support experience in managing the infrastructure you know what what is is has it been the same is it different was uh, you know, was it was it the same from from uh, mainframe to client server, or even in the client server into a managed hosting? Any fundamental differences in how workloads were supported? So I think I think the the biggest difference between the two is networking, mm. because when you were running on a mainframe, the network was you know IBM's SNA systems network architecture. Um, maybe you had a bit of you know simple Ethernet. But certainly no one really worried about the network because the terminals were dumb terminals connect to controllers. Whereas as soon as you went client server, you stuck an Ethernet network or even a token ring network between the, the client and the server, which meant that all of a sudden you've, you've got a new skill involved. Networking moved out of the telecoms department and into the IT department. And I think that was one of the fundamental biggest changes. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about it in the context that networking was really one of the defining differences between uh, the mainframe world and the client server world. Because you're right, in a dumb terminal, the amount of bandwidth even that you need to get from from the terminal back, it's nothing. It's just characters because all the work happened elsewhere and the results would then come come back out. But as soon as you go client server and computing starts to happen on the client, the networking requirements go through the roof, as does then you know a whole new industry of uh, in IT, and that is the networking world. Yes. And then if you think about where cloud started to come from it, suddenly those servers at the end of a network could be moved somewhere else because they're on a network now. They're not on a bit of serial cable. Oh, that's a really good point. Now you have some flexibility, which is why managed hosting starts to become a reality because now I can ship my server from one point to another and no one's the wiser as long as we update the networking path. Well, as long as the network address can be found. Doesn't matter where it is other than lately. Yes, exactly that. All right. Well, let's let the let's let our, our computing clock move forward. Now we leave the 2000s and let's get up to 2010, where at this point you have AWS is starting to look like AWS. Rackspace is starting to think about a uh, a cloud. Uh, Google not so much yet. Uh, Azure a tiny bit. I uh, wouldn't call it Azure at the point, but they're they're starting to think about what it looks like. But as we head into that 2010, and I'm going to say to 2015, the dawn of the hyperscaler on the on the public cloud. What's the difference between those environments uh, when we think support, when we think about interaction? So I think, I think there's a couple, a couple of things there. All, all of a sudden, it's um, again, it's more, more control by the hyperscaler, more control given away by the customer saying, yeah. I've, I'm going to export that problem to someone else. And that's everything from hardware refresh to networking, to patching, to maintenance, to all those things. The customer's going, well, actually, someone else can take care of that for me. It costs me a lot of money. I, I have expensive staff, but I don't need those staff all the time. I only need them when I need to do things. If I can export that problem so that someone else has that staff when I need it, and it can be done with a consistency, then great. I've got I've offloaded a problem. And I think for me, a lot of people started to go onto cloud, firstly to offload the problem, but also to avoid having to buy things. Hmm. When I can consume something, and when I finish with it, I'm not paying for it. So the dawn of actually IT becomes more an OPEX model rather than a capital model, suddenly cloud offers that opportunity. And if you think about when cloud started, developers were the key users because they wanted to spin something up, play with it, and then get rid of it. And it was bought on a credit card, not on a corporate account. That's right. That's right. And, and so that's a really interesting point because because this is a fundamental shift where IT um, it begins stopping 
only occurring in IT. Now IT happens throughout the entire organization. That's a fundamental change in, in how IT happens. If you go back to the mainframe world, there was one tiny group of people who managed that, that, that mainframe infrastructure so that one specific community could sit on the other end and type and, and get their request. Now you think about computing and being able to interact, especially in a cloud-based world, it pervades the entire organization, every role. Yes, and, and more to the point, it spawned the birth of shadow IT. It did. Business would buy IT and IT would know nothing about it. And that's really interesting. It is really interesting. So so as companies would move from either their data center, co-location, or managed hosting into a cloud-based environment, again, they're 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 wanting less and less um, ties to the infrastructure and responsibility of the infrastructure. And of course, adopting public cloud. You know, there's a couple ways to do it. Some people just look at public cloud as mm, it's just another data center. So they're just, it's VMs that used to run on their premises, uh, now run out inside of public. Um, or they could think to be a little more what we would call cloud native. And in a cloud native world, now you have, um, you know, where, where that, that progression from, well, I have a physical server in my data center to a VM in someone else's data center to, I don't even have a VM anymore. Yeah, and that's that's ultimately where this is moving to. It's where, excuse me, really ultimately where we go for this is that I just want to run a service and I don't care what that service is, what it runs on, where it is, as long as it works, it becomes a black box. It becomes a black box and it allows IT, and I'm going to air quotes IT for those of you listening at home, it, it air quotes it now so that um, we stop thinking about how much how much compute do you need, how much storage do you need, how much networking do you need to, what business problem are you trying to solve? Then we can open up this toolbox that has effectively infinite amount of capability in it called cloud compute, uh, cloud capabilities, cloud services, and and then figure out what's the right way to solve that problem. Yeah, and that's the point. Now you think about a bank. Ultimately, you might have a function that says, "Give me the balance." You might not, you don't know what that is. All it does is return the balance of my checking account or my savings account. You don't care what it does behind the scene. All you've got is a business function called get me the balance. And that's, that's what people are now abstracting it down to. And that's really interesting because ultimately, unless get the balance changes, you never need to change that piece of code. You, it just stays the same. And what happens behind it is irrelevant to the command give, get the balance. And what that does, I love this example, because what it does is now if you think about get the balance, get the balance needs effectively a couple of communities to, to create that solution. First of all, you need to understand what are the business requirements to, uh, to get that. So we need to know who's asking, you know, there's some other, you know, inputs that we need to know about. And then you have a technical community that would sit right there with them and go, ah, oh, if that's what you need, then I need to give you these three lines of code. But there's another community and that community, especially in financial services, is the security community. Yep. <laughs> we make sure that that person is the right person and we're giving them the right data. Oh, but there's a fourth community, compliance. Let's make sure we know that this person asked on this day and we got this data from this specific location. But that's the dawn of this really amazing time that we sit in. And that is the small functional teams who have business requirements, security requirements, compliance requirements and, and, and technical requirements. And they solve them together as opposed to these old waterfall type of a methodology. Yeah, absolutely. You're bringing together the business, the IT, the security, the compliance uh, again, also the net, maybe the networking, maybe the resilience communities. 
all of those people need to come together to say, like, what, what do I need to, to impart or deliver to solve the problem of giving a customer a balance in a secure, safe and timely fashion? You know, it makes me really happy that back when would I say it would have been, when did Agile hit the, hit the market? Agile started showing up in, oh, it was the early 2000s, I think, is when I first started hearing about it. And DevOps. Around 05 for me. Yeah, 05, yeah. 06, I think. And I'm glad that, it, that, that we defined all of that. And then DevOps comes along. Um, you know, we've had 15, 17 years to get that under our belt so that we can get to a point where we can really exercise it. Yes, and and but, but even now, not everyone exercises it. Not everyone necessarily still has got it. You still see a lot of waterfall being used, um, right. even in cloud native environments. I think it's still something that a lot of culturally, a lot of people struggle with. You know, getting that community together from a diverse part of an organisation, rather than the business people giving, you know, a, a a a requirement under a table in an envelope to an IT member, a business analyst, and go go fix this and come back in six months. It's now, yeah. I'll sit with you. Can I have it in half an hour or a day? And that's really that cultural change in an organization is very big still, even today. Yeah, it's it's amazing. The, the, as it turns out, the tech is the easy part. The culture and the people and the processes are, they're not the easy parts. N- not at all. And especially, as you've said, when you bring in things like security, you know, someone may still ask first, can I just have the balance without worrying about, well, actually, I need to know that, you know, Simon Bennett gets Simon Bennett's balance and doesn't get Jeff's balance. You know, those things all really become very important and people need to still appreciate you have to do the basics. Right. So let's think about the an evolved type of a, of a, of a financial institution where get the balance is paired with a thousand other services that ultimately provide the, uh, the banking platform that, that, this, that this financial services firm operates. We think about that, and, and and you having been in IT for forever, you work for Rackspace, and you understand this. Um, what is different about how we support an application like that? And when I say we, I mean we collectively in the IT world. What does support of an application like that look like, especially as we compare it to um, early days of cloud, as we compare it to client server, or maybe even back, well, maybe not back to mainframe, but what's, what's, <laughs> what's different? Because it is different. And we need to think a lot about that because it's different today. And my gosh, it's going to be way different tomorrow. Um, I think two, two real things for me is all of a sudden, the people that develop the service will also support the service. Because supporting the service means understanding the business logic, understand what the business user needs. You don't just develop something and hand it to an operations or a run team anymore who just feed and water it. You need to understand it in in agile, in DevOps, in no code or low code. You need to understand the business service, the business workflows. And to support what you do, you also are the people that develop it. Because ultimately what you're doing then is your, your it, it becomes a living thing. It's not something that's static that's thrown over the wall at someone just to press the buttons. And you're you're feeding, you're nurturing it. You're not just leaving it and running it as a batch job or it's something in the background. You're keeping it alive. But you're also changing it more frequently, which means the combination of skills and knowledge are in, imperative to make those changes. You can't just write a spec, send it in the post to someone and hope they come back with the right answer. You now collaborate. And development now is all about collaboration. Isn't that amazing? We no longer have these ivory towers of the developers. Okay, they weren't ivory towers. They were basements on the corner of the <laughs> campus um, uh, where, where you throw requirements and food and coffee and then hope, hope to get something else back. Now they're, 
you know, now you have these teams that literally and well today figuratively sitting next to one another and solving these problems. And I love that also that you brought up low code, no code, because when you think about that, your example is so good. Get the balanced service. You know, that could be used as part of the traditional banking system, but it also could be made available as well, just an API that can be accessed. And now somebody who is sitting in front of a low code, no code, drag and drop, create an application terminal, they can use it as well. Absolutely. Which means that developing an application that ran on a desktop now can run on a mobile phone just as easily. Not That's right. Yep. Or, you know, you could take and, and uh, you know, it could be part of a, of a process to say, okay, for this community of, of um, customers, I want to see a report on an hourly basis of balances based on suching. You know, these are requirements that somebody could drag together in 30 minutes and create an application, even if it's just something internally that they use to manage some important customers. Yes. And more to the point, in the past, that same instruction, get balance, would be written 47 different ways to do exactly the same thing. Now it's written once and, and, and cut and pasted. And isn't that even um, so much more secure because you only have one set of code to look after uh, and, and controllable and compliant because you don't have 47 different things you have to go look out after. You have the one that everybody consumes. Absolutely. Because you, once you've written it, you can lock it. It's then signed off. It's got a digital signature as being a secure, safe piece of code. And that makes a world of difference for change, compliance and everything. And it, it stops the CISOs getting locked up ultimately because, you know, if you think of the way it runs, they may have to check 47 versions in the past and they may miss one because it's not always documented. These things now can be absolutely documented as part of the development. And that's imperative. Well, I'm glad you brought up CISO as well, because again, they used to be this, uh, I'll call them one of the last phase gates uh, as something might get deployed where here, here comes this package O code that they would look at and, and bless or not bless before it sent it on its way. That's the old days. The new days, they first class seat at the table during requirements, during development. Yes. Uh, and, and ideally has tools in the CICD pipeline that's inspecting that code, making sure that what's going in and what's coming out match. A hundred percent. I think what it makes, it's turned the CISO into an enabler rather than an inhibitor. And that's the big difference. They used to be the person that always said, no, we're not ready. We haven't tested it. We haven't proven it. Now they can go, well, I've blessed these things already. Go get on with it. Do it. So they, they're seen more as an enabler for a business. And then amazing also, because I was talking to um, our head of, of security at Rackspace, you know, we're talking about the, that changing face of the CISO. And, you know, again, at the, at the old days, they would, they would phase gate, bless it, not bless it. They were the no person, like you said. Uh, now they're embedded in the, co- in the development process, in the deployment process. You know, that's what got SolarWinds into trouble. Their, their, their CICD pipeline, they had bugs that were injecting stuff through the process. They thought they had clean code coming in, but they weren't comparing the output to what they were expecting. Yeah, and also they hadn't locked down, locked down those modules and they were being, you know, in effect, changed. So here you can lock down, get balanced, if we go back to that example, and know it's got the right digital signature. And as long as that signature is the same, you're using the same code. So it, it goes it goes back because I've been a racker for since 2008. That's when I started. And when I think about how we supported infrastructure, it doesn't work in this new model. It doesn't work in this, in this get balance world. <laughs> No, it's different. It's very different. And, you know, you're talking about 13 years, really, which isn't yeah. a long time in, in for most people, but in the IT industry, it's several lifetimes. 
Yeah, absolutely it is. So, so we're changing. We've got a new offering coming out called Elastic Engineering. You know, why is that necessary? I'd love to hear your take on it. I have my opinions. Um, t- two reasons for me. Um, I think how customers want to buy services has completely changed. What they want is flexibility to use skills rather than buy individual components. They want to buy skills. They want to buy talent to augment their own organization, to provide skills where they've got gaps, but only use them when they want to use them and only pay for them when they want not to pay for them, which means that if you can provide something that's elastic in engineering, you can have an hour of someone's time. And when you don't need it, then you can dispense with it and have an hour of a different skill. And that makes things super flexible for a customer. And also it means that we're fitting in with that new DevOps world, providing the sort of skills that are needed, but when they're needed and only when they're needed. All right. So flexibility of getting access to the right people at the right time, because in the old days, whether it was managed hosting from a company like ours or whether it was a staff of people that a uh, CTO or CIO pulled together, you had fixed people, you had fixed knowledge base. And if you wanted more than that, it was a long term contract to figure that piece out. Challenging, to say the least. And also it involved change control, which had to be approved by a procurement department and so on and so forth. If you've got an elastic solution, as a consumer of elastic engineering, you're already able to swap in and out without having to go through a, a lot of paperwork, be a lot of time, see a lot of approvals. Really good point. So people need to do that one because the market's changing because now you can do this sort of thing. You can get people by the hour, the right people at the right time. The second piece is, as we've, we've alluded to is while as tech has changed over, over many years, we'll call it the 13 years reference that you just used, What's happening is that 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 change is now changing moment, quite literally moment by moment underneath a, a company's feet. I mean, and since we've been recording, I use this all the time on the on the podcast. Since we've been recording, there's probably been three or four different new features in all of the clouds that have shown up. Absolutely. And that's exactly the challenge, you know, or more the opportunity. Some of those features yeah. might be beneficial if you can then access a skill that is aware of that facility and offer advice and guidance at the drop of a hat you can at least make an informed decision. Yeah. So, so the, so the encouragement then for the IT decision makers who are, who are listening to this is of course, Rackspace has an an offering for this and it's one way you can go, but what you need to be thinking about in your teams is how do you impart the most flexibility? Now, if you're, if you want to have your own, um, your use as much of your own resources as possible, then what it really comes down to is how do you engineer into their schedule enough time to stay fluent? Yes. So that they're able to consume this stuff. Yeah. And, and also the cost of upskilling as well, because yeah. you know, um, it's not only the time, it's the, the cost of the training, the cost of materials, the, the opportunity costs when they're away from developing new business functionality as well. If you can augment those skills, your, your time to value is much quicker. That's so true. Uh, I've actually been, Simon, and I'm going to be sending you an email about this as well. I've been uh, conducting an informal internal survey of anybody who hires people inside of our organization and it's about to go external. And that is, what are the top three things that you look for when hiring someone? And across the board, uh, Lair, I'm just going to read you some of the top ones okay. as, as I look at my list. So the ability to, to support and effectively collaborate with customers it comes down to collaboration, uh, ability to learn someone with a passion for what they're doing, ownership, attitude, mindset, um, customer and team focus and passion for uh, to solve customer problems. That's obviously in our support team. 
But none of that is, I need this, this degree from this organization. I need this cloud certification. And if I were to take down to the number two and the number three, ability to learn, passion to learn, desire to learn. This is what tech um, uh, leaders and managers and directors and SVPs are looking for in people to come work for them. And, and to add that, I'd add one, one phrase that I've used a lot. We've got to be easy to do business with. Yeah. It's a simple yes. phrase, but it's really, really key. So when you think about, you know, if you're going to build a team to run it on your own, you know, of course they need to, they need to be able to walk the talk, uh, walk the walk and talk the talk on the tech side. But that's just the, the, that's what opens the door. What really gets you hired? Are you easy to work with and collaborate with? And two, do you, do you want to learn and learn on your own? Yeah. And, and stuff changes. They know, everybody knows the stuff is changing underneath their feet. Yeah. And I think you mentioned the phrase, having passion for this makes a world of difference. Um, that enthusiasm becomes infectious. I really believe that. I really believe that. If you've got you know, enthusiasm for what you do, it rubs off and customers really like that and they appreciate it. They do. And your coworkers and your leaders and your reports to and reports from, uh, it all makes a difference. But it's because, let's just take it back to this changing face of IT. If companies don't make this shift internally in the ability to consume this new tech and consume it in a way to be agile on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis, they're going to get left behind if they aren't already. Yes. And, and if, if the, the, the IT department doesn't do it as well, the business will go and get it from somewhere else. They will because it's a credit card swipe away in a lot yes. of cases. Yeah. And that, that goes back to why cloud? Because they can just buy it with a credit card and they'll do it. And really you want to be part of the solution and, and, and it's not controlling the business, but it's supporting them in the right way. Right. As opposed to in, in the past, IT was the, I won't even say the reluctant enabler because they weren't reluctant. They wanted to do their job, but they said no more than they said yes. But now that all these decisions are moved from this once every three years, we're going to choose a technology platform for uh, for the financial services firm that that need ultimately has a get balance. Now it's a moment by moment IT working hand in hand with a much more fluent technology business partner. Yes, uh, completely. It's in, it's integrating the business with IT to solve a problem. It's yeah. not it's not passing passing a problem around an organization anymore. It's much more collective. All right, so I'm going to start to refer to you as Dr. Bennett because you are the wise instructor today. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm going to ask you to hop up on the soapbox for a minute, Dr. Bennett, and share with, with the IT leader who's listening, who hasn't necessarily started down this journey or is either trying to impact that inside of their organization. Wise words of advice from Dr. Bennett. Um, I, I guess I'd, I'd, offer, I'd offer only two things. Is one, go, go into whatever you're doing, eyes open, and don't forget planning as part of that because don't just rush headlong into say a digital transformation or anything else you've got to do the groundwork it's like building a house you still need the foundations and the foundations need to be right and too many people start building the first floor without the foundations still so i think that's one of my one of my key key sort of things when i talk to people but secondly is also listen to everyone in your group between the business and the IT department, because someone out there may have a great idea. And if you don't listen to the great ideas and you close them off to start with, you may miss the opportunity to double your company's size, grow your revenue enormously. So really always be willing to listen to that group of people that you you pay a lot of money for or that you've hired in and be collaborative in doing so. I know they're simple things, but I think they count for a lot. It's great advice. It's great advice. 
but it makes me, I, I can hear through the wire, through the podcast you know, ether, I can hear people scratching their head going, but does everything have to go to the hyperscaler cloud? Aren't there, I, I know I still have workloads in my organization that aren't ready for it. So is it, is it hyperscaler bust? A hundred percent not. A hundred percent not. You need to really make sure that what you've got is something that suits what your technology heritage. If I go back to where you start from, you can't change. You can't change everything at once. You have to change it bit at a time. No one's got a bottomless pot of money to change things to really take advantage of what a hyperscaler can offer. And it may not be appropriate in the short term to actually put everything on the cloud where you've got certain items that may run in a either a legacy data center or still even in a colo that do a really good job for your business um, that, that just keep working. As long as you can keep them current, supportable and secure, more importantly, then, then there's no reason not to carry on running that. Um, I only spoke to a customer yesterday that has built a bespoke application for serving high resolution images for the hotel industry. And their point was, I've developed this over 20 years. It works fantastically well. It works quick. It would cost me £2 million to redevelop. I, can I just run it on some bare metal, please? <laughs> yes. So there there are absolutely still re- um, requirements for and needs for what I'll call more traditional computing. Now, it doesn't mean that there can't be infrastructure modernization that goes on if we're not going to do application modernization. Uh, meaning we can get into newer infrastructure that gives better performance or even into a newer private cloud or VMware-based environment that has attributes similar to that of public cloud, uh, but but still allows you to function in a private cloud in a single tenant type of, a, of an organization or arrangement. Yeah, absolutely. People still would like to um, pay for what they use, irrespective of where it's located. So they want yes. a form of consumption model. They would also like someone else to maybe... Uh, patch the firewall, patch the load balancers, uh, keep those things current and maintained. But all they want to do is run their custom application somewhere. If it doesn't run in a public cloud, can I run it in a private environment, be it VMware or just on a on some compute somewhere? Um, they just want to consume it. And that's the difference. It's consuming the, the item, the technology, the infrastructure, the asset, only, f- again, paying for what they use when they use it. So would you say then that everything should be on the slate for some form of modernization based on what is the right model for that? For that, Is it just infrastructure? Is it a purchasing model? Or is it truly a computing model that they should change or could change? Um, I, I, I think it's more people want to just configure and consume and go. And that's yeah. everything. That's payment. That's infrastructure. That's networking. It doesn't really matter what of those components you talk about. What people would like to do is put my application or service on it and just consume it and forget about the rest. There you go. And whether that's hyperscale cloud or a private cloud type of an environment, uh, it's whatever works best financially and business-wise and organizationally for the, for that organization. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's, and that's what I see day in, day out with my customers, especially those that have been around for a long time. This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com. Always an insightful conversation and lots to learn when Dr. Simon Bennett 
is in the house. The professor, if you will. Thanks, Simon, for being a part of the episode today. Well, folks, we have a date, and that date is August 3rd and 4th. The Solve Conference is coming back. I told you a little about it last week, and now we've got dates. Now, there's nowhere to sign up yet, and I don't even have a website to send you to. But I'll tell you, on the 3rd, it's a bunch of great pre-conference content. And then on the 4th, three different tracks for three different personas of how to use technology to help solve real-world business problems. I think you're going to love it. I want you to mark it on your calendar now to be ready for it. All right. I also want to thank Dell Technologies for being a continued sponsor of the Solve program here at Rackspace. And I'm really... Well, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, if you're not already a subscriber, I'd love for you to head over to wherever you find your podcasts and subscribe to Cloud Talk. If you enjoy the program, we'll maybe even tell a few friends about it or leave us one of those five-star reviews. They really do make a difference. Okay, folks, until next time, it's been great to be back with you. We've got an amazing episode coming up next week, but you're going to have to wait till next week to know what's in store. I'm Jeff Deverter for Cloud Talk. <laughs>